0: You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com, reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.clotheswithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast, brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm Carter McKenzie with a couple repeat offenders here and a uh, special guest joining us tonight. And... Uh, You know, we got the one and only Khalid Bell coming at us from Colorado. Repeat as always, guys. Good to see you guys. That's right, and Bobby McCready from the great state of New Jersey. What's up, man? I like how you changed that intro now to the great state after
2: last night. So uh, really excited about that, man. Keep it forever. forever. Can you include that he
3: is Snooki's neighbor? Yeah, great state of New Jersey and Snooki's neighbor.
1: We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Put it in the show notes. Uh, But neither of those folks matter. Uh, because <laughs> frankly, I can't believe we're talking to the one and only Henry Ferguson tonight, sir. Sir, oh, uh, geez. we really appreciate you jumping on here, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Henry Ferguson, Mule Deer fanatic, like, obsessed with Mule Deer, Big Chief Wackabuck, which is the greatest Instagram handle of all time, <laughs> like, absolutely love that, and uh. I guess more seriously, chairman of the <laughs> chairman of the Colorado Bowhunters Association as well. So,
0: Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. And yeah, that's uh, <laughs> y- y- there's a little story behind the, the Instagram handle. So I am I am one sixteenth Cherokee. So it's totally legit. Um, <laughs> my right leg from my from mid calf down, hundred percent Cherokee. So uh, I always start all my stocks with my right foot so that it's, it just gets everything started correctly and you know, I'm able to draw on that heritage. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Starting
1: off with the right foot, that, that gives it a whole new meaning right there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's
0: awesome.
3: Please tell me the entire time you guys are hunting that it's you put the right foot in, you take your left foot out, and you shake it all about.
0: It's, it's in my head, but you you have to do it quietly because spot and stock, as you know, you don't want to spook them. So, yeah, you got to You got to just keep that as kind of the internal monologue piece, you know, it keeps you focused. Yeah.
1: Well, awesome. This is, uh, you know, it's a privilege to be able to talk to you. And uh, I want to unpack the, the mule deer fanaticism for sure, because I, I have been bitten by the bug. And it's about oh, well, all I can think awesome. about. And unfortunately, I'm so far away from mule deer, uh, but definitely want to unpack that. But do you want to give us a, a quick rundown, kind of who you are, Henry, and, and maybe your
0: background? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was, uh, the outdoors have just been a huge part of my life, my whole life. Um, I mean, my I was the kid who would beg his mom to take me to the lake just so I could cast lures and never catch anything. And it, it was that was really a, a good start to my kind of time in the outdoors because it taught me how to deal with frustration and failure, and which really led me into being a spot and stock mule deer hunter. Um, I mean, because if you aren't comfortable with failure, you should probably pick a different sport or a different activity because you will fail, and that's the beauty of it. But uh, no, I kind of raised in raised in the West, moved around a lot as a kid. We were semi-nomadic people and uh we we just kinda hopped around a little bit. I don't really know why, but um kinda grew up for the most part in northern Arizona and uh that's where I, I kinda learned how to hunt a little bit and shot my first deer there, shot my first turkey there. Um also shot my last turkey there because I just haven't really hunted turkeys much since then but um but yeah it's it it's just hunting and the outdoors and archery, it's just things that I love. And it's where, where I go when the world doesn't make sense. And I go out there and everything just kind of makes sense for me. And so it's those, it's, it's been a real great place for me to, to just kind of find center, but, um, been married 25 years to my awesome wife, Stacy, who is quite the hunter herself. I'm sitting right under a giant elk rack, a big elk mount that she shot. There's a couple deer over on that wall that are hers. Another one up there. Uh, we have a 16-year-old son who has most of the deer on this wall um, and an elk and an antelope. I mean, it's it, the outdoors is just a big part of our life. That's, that's kind of what we do. And like you said, I'm chairman of the Colorado Bowhunter Association and uh, have been since December, but I've been on the board for, I think, five years previous to that, so... Um, yeah, it's just something that I, I several years ago my wife said, "Look, you can either, you know, stop complaining about it or get on the board and do something." Like and, I mean, I, I guess I I probably shouldn't have listened to her. I probably should have just kept complaining about it from a distance. But but you know, ultimately, you just there's a point in everybody's life where I mean, there's just consumers and there's producers, and I've been a consumer for a long time. And I felt like it was time that I become a producer and start helping out, you know, and just start moving, you know, making sure that things move in the right, you know, continue moving in the right direction for us.
3: Yeah. Well, see, that's one thing that's always been fascinating, Henry, when it comes to you. I know that your previous background wasn't necessarily completely in the outdoor industry and you come from a different side of it. And then you decided to take that outdoor industry and make it your career now. Uh, it's actually not. Uh,
0: this is an unpaid position. Totally volunteer. Totally volunteer on my part. So yeah, I sell furniture to furniture stores for my like
3: actual living. So not That's the, what I wanted not to the clarify, most exciting. Too. What's up? That? That's what I wanted to clarify too, that the CBA is not only just a volunteer oh, yeah, path. It's, you've made this part of your career by being a volunteer and being at the level you are yeah. for the CBA. It's incredible. It's awesome.
0: Well, you know, and it's the cool thing about it is it's a 53 year old organization. And the really cool thing is, is we've been able to talk to some of the original founders because there's a couple of them that are still kicking around. And it, it's neat to see that, you know, hey, we're just continuing on the good work that's been done by the CBA for years. And it's just our time to, you know, kind of our time to, to serve. And it's it's pretty neat to be involved in something that's just a lot bigger than you, you know, like a lot bigger than you.
1: For someone who uh, may not be familiar with the Colorado Bow Hunters Association, Henry, what what exactly is y'all's mission, and what does your kind of role sure. look
0: like with the organization? So, so, like I said, we've been around for fifty three years, and the 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 motto of our organization is really unchanged. Um, our, our number one priorities are fighting for the rights of bow hunters, um, preserving season opportunities and enhancing them wherever we possibly can, um, you know, working with the legislature, which we had a, a big role in a, a big legislative thing that got passed in Colorado this year. Um, we, we work with Colorado Parks and Wildlife on season dates and structures. We've got a, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, man. And, and one of our biggest things is growing and perpetuating the sport, and you know, activity of bow hunting in Colorado.
3: And that's probably one of the more unique things about the CBA is you guys are 100% dedicated to outdoorsman conservation, but primarily focused around bow hunters, but it doesn't mean that the stuff that you guys are doing is only for bow hunting. I, I think the legislative act that you're talking about is the predator one, right? Huge, huge movement in Colorado.
0: Yeah, so that was a big one this last year, and we had a big hand in that for sure. Um, there was act, and what he's talking about, there was actually a proposal to eliminate uh, mountain lion, bobcat, and lynx hunting in the state of Colorado, wow. which is kind of interesting because the bill literally said um, the proposal literally said mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx, which, by the way, lynx are protect are federally protected. Nobody's hunting lynx in Colorado. We do have them here because they they transplanted them here like 15, 20 years ago. And there's a good, healthy population, of but nobody's hunting links. Um, so, yeah, we had a big role in getting that shot down. Um, us and a, a lot of other outdoor groups and organizations here in the state, as well as Howl.org, everybody had a big hand in that. It was, it was pretty cool because we were... Uh, we didn't really think we had much of a chance there. And as it turned out, we did get that uh, we did get that shot down. And I mean, for the health of our herds, for the health of our deer and elk herds, my gosh, that that had to happen. I mean, that could not continue on. Um, we had another one this year that uh, our legislative liaison, Wes Mendez, actually, when he was down talking, um, down testifying about the mountain lion bill one of the state representatives pulled him aside and said hey we're getting ready to present this this bill again and he goes you know we've tried it a couple times we've come close a couple times but we just haven't been able to get it over the over the finish line and that is um, a proposal to have hunter's education be part of the curriculum in seventh grade in the state oh, of Colorado. Heck yeah so we actually and and I don't I, I don't like to brag too much about what we do. because um, it's but I'll tell you what, I've got to brag on Wes Mendez and his kids because they went down to the Capitol and testified on this three different times. They uh and they had such a big role in it. And and I should I should preface, Wes's kids were in fourth and sixth grade at the time. <laughs> So they're sitting there in Cub Scout and Boy Scout uniforms, testifying to all the lawmakers in Colorado. And I mean, what a cool experience for them, but what a great representation for us and as outdoorsmen in general. And, and they had such a big hand in this that when they, uh, when they signed it into law, when the governor signed it into law, he had uh, his boys come down there, Griffin and Hudson. And sit right next to him when he signed it. And then after he had signed it, he handed each of them a pen and said, Will you guys sign it too? The governor did? Yeah, the governor did. I mean, it was it was the most amazing. And I and I'll be honest, guys, I'm I'm 48 years old. I'm pretty mature. I'm pretty secure in my in my uh, feelings here. Dude, it got misty there. All of a sudden I looked around and I had to put my sunglasses on because I mean something got in my eyes. They started watering and stuff, but I I was I was dang proud. And I mean it's it one of the cool things about that is it, it doesn't just teach hunter safety. There's a lot more to it than that. It's you know, hunter safety is part of it, but it's wildlife management and what goes into that. It's proper gun handling and what goes into that. And it's it's all these things and then some basic outdoor skills that a lot of these kids just aren't going to have. You know, they yeah. just aren't going to have that opportunity in most of their lives. So it's pretty awesome. And that's, uh, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest things we've been involved with this year. So something I'm pretty that's proud inc- of.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you're talking my language right there. I, I'm a high school and now middle school teacher. And oh, that's uh, awesome. I, yeah, I get, I'm privileged enough to coach our sporting clays team at our school, which we started last year, and I have the kids take hunter safety, because most of these kids on my team had never shot a firearm before. Uh, yeah. That was a whole thing, and it's in and of itself, and that's so cool, it, and it's just exposing more kids, which, you know, that's the correct age to expose them to the outdoors. Kids exactly. Exposed to the outdoors, and that's where you get the, life, the lifetime, like, that's who you want to go to bat for you, you know, when we are no longer in the, in the spotlight, I guess, so to say.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that's the cool thing is, you know, right now we have, I mean, I have a 16 year old son, like I said, and I, of his, of his friends, none of them hunt, none of them do. And so it, it's cool to be, to be able to kind of build that next generation. And, and, you know, it, it, like you said, it's a pivotal age because most of those kids are 11, 12 years old so they're right about that time where they can go out and buy their first hunting license here in Colorado right
3: well I know that's not necessarily the only thing you guys have done with the youth in Colorado outdoors what other programs you guys offer what else have you guys done to contribute back to that next generation because it's a huge portion of the CBA's mission from my understanding and have you seen any of this gain traction in other states from your involvement or any other states reaching out to you guys on how they're doing or how they can improve themselves Yeah. And we've, we've actually had some pretty good discussions with a lot
0: of the neighboring states. Bow Hunters of Wyoming, Tom Hurley is their president. And he reached out to me and we kind of shot some ideas back and forth on, you know, I I mean, guys, one of the, one of the biggest challenges that any organization like ours has is gaining membership. You know, we had, we had like 54,000 people who bought archery elk tags in the state of Colorado last year we have 1600 members. And and I mean, that's actually a gain. We're up to, we got up to 1600 members. So I mean, it's, but you know, we should, we should have a far greater membership than that. And we're trying to do a better job of marketing what we're doing and letting people understand and, and know what it is that we're up to and why they would want to be a part of it. But you know, it's, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. And so we We've been uh, communicating a lot back and forth, uh, just kind of bouncing ideas off each other, and sharing kind of some of the successes and, and uh, you know, obviously the failures as well. Because, you know, like right now, we've got a, a big membership promo we're doing. So if you join, you get put in a hat for a, this, a bunch of different prizes. And it's everything from the Selway leather hooded uh, traditional quivers to, you know, binoculars from Maven. Uh, a bow case from badlands gift cards a package from davis tent Nottingham. i mean we've got all kinds of stuff in this and you know those are the kind of things that we have to do to be creative to get to get people to kind of tune into the message and 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 join in
3: you know that's a crazy thing to hear from you henry because like you said colorado's got such a an aggressive population of bow hunters like it's not something that's not happening here in colorado yeah. And then when you dive into the CBA and your and your uh, your publication and the magazines and stuff that you guys put out in your marketing, we're not talking about just also everyday hunters too. You've got guys like Trevin in there. You've got guys like yourself. Yeah. We've got a great following in Colorado at the CBA, but we need to reach more people. It's tough. It definitely it, is. It, it is.
0: It's it's a challenge. And like I said, it's a challenge for everybody and it's a challenge for all of the state bow hunting organizations and Um, And even, you know, Milder Foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, all these guys, they all struggle with it. And, you know, unfortunately, we all went through 2020 and, um, you know, we have we have two fundraising events a year. One of them is our banquet and the other one is our jamboree. And both of those were canceled in 2020. Um, So, I mean, you know, you lose you lose a a lot of money to, to just operate and stay afloat and. The entry, you know, had we not had very, very good management from previous board members in the past, we would have been, we would have just disappeared. But they invested wisely and gave us a little something to live on during those lean times. It's it's
2: funny you say that because I'm actually, uh, I've kind of went through the same experience with that, with the decline in banquets. I'm the chapter president of our Pheasants Forever here and COVID and getting people outreached. And we had such a decline in our state of members. We actually lost half our members from yeah. from that. And it's uh, it's very hard for people to understand like nonprofits, what we do and try to get our membership drive out there. So yeah, it's, I definitely feel you on that one with uh, not having yeah. the banquet and losing those two events.
0: Well, and, and the interesting thing is, Bobby, you made a great point there. Losing membership because of that, because a huge number, a huge percentage of, of our members renewed their memberships at one of those two events. And, you know, you just, you, you get out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately, and you just kind of lose, they just kind of lose contact and it, it just kind of went away for a lot of people. But, but, you know, the, the good news is the fight never stops. And we, we all, we all continued on and pressed on and, Made the made the best of all, of everything we could, you know. But uh, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. We're gonna we're gonna do our part to help you out, Henry. I got four people I'm gonna call out right now. I'll tag them in the show notes, and they're gonna join. We got Luke awesome. Cox, Perry Eisner, Seth Rocky, and Garrett Carver. Those are our Colorado folks. All right, so hey, they're we'll gonna join. Yeah, we're gonna tag them and harass them until they until they sign up and become members. Hey, and if they join
0: before Sunday, they're in uh, they're entered into that give into that huge giveaway. So too easy. I don't mean to. Yeah, exactly. I mean it. It is too easy. Yeah. So,
3: and what's crazy too? If you dive into it, the cost of a license in Colorado is compared to the cost of a membership for the CBA is <laughs> pennies on the dollar. Uh, I think I'm a three year member. What's the three year membership on that, Henry? So, so our, our,
0: uh, rates just went up first of August or first of July. So the three-year membership's 105 and a one-year membership's 40 bucks. So, oh, sure. and, become a member. and that gets yeah, you, yeah. that gets you six, ep- uh, six issues of our magazine, big, uh, full color magazine with some amazing content in there. We've got, um, we're pretty lucky. We have, uh, Hamski archeries right here in Colorado, and uh, Sean Greathouse and Andrew Munsell have both contributed articles within the last year or so on archery technical stuff. Um, Bill Vanderheiden from Iron Will Broadheads just had a, oh my gosh, he gave like a, like an advanced college level arrow building article in our last issue that I'm not kidding. It was like eight pages long with pictures and details and it's. <sighs> it's pretty spectacular. If you can't build a good arrow after that, you're just not trying.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That kind of ties into something else I wanted to talk to you about, Henry. And, and you're a, you're a archery guy. You're, you're, if someone's going to find you on the mountain, you're going to have a bow in your hand, right?
0: If, and if I don't, it'll be a gun, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and actually, I should say, not all of these are bow kills. I did kill the one over that edge um, of the bookcase. I did kill that with a rifle in 2017. That was my first rifle kill since 1989. Everything else seven. has been with a bow. So
3: You're going to have to do a better job specifying. There's like 15 deer on that wall. <laughs> there,
0: there's actually a lot more than that. But, <laughs> well, in this room anyway, there's... Somebody asked me the other day, how many mounts do you have in your front room? I'm like, um, it's a little embarrassing that I can't tell you the exact number. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's closing in on 20. And if I'm being totally honest, I have two of them on the floor behind me that just haven't been hung yet. My so, <laughs> my buck from last year, and my son's buck from last year. My son, if one of them needs to get hung up, it's my son's buck. He shot it friggin whopper 180 inch buck last year 30 nice. inches wide i mean it's it's like the prototypical dream mule deer typical buck so so what is it uh, yeah. about mule deer henry oh man it's so simple i mule deer are they are the icon of the west but for me i grew up in an area that didn't have a lot of mule deer in northern arizona and so every time we would see a deer it was, it was something, you know, it was really something. And when we'd see a buck, it was just amazing. Um, and I mean, I grew up and I, I went on a, I had a rifle tag my junior year and which 1989. So I, uh, I hunted 11 of the 13 days of that season and I shot the only buck I saw. And it was a spike that was four and an eighth inch long on, on either side. And they had to be four inches to be legal. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, and the statute of limitations I'm sure has run out on this. I didn't care if that (laughs) thing was three and a half, he was going to be just as dead. So, I mean, and I, I, I worked so hard for that hunt to accomplish that goal. And so it just, it just meant so much to me, you know, and that's what, and, and so as I kind of grew up and moved on, um, found myself in Colorado and shot a lot of tournaments and stuff. But once I really started hunting again, it was it was all about mule deer. And I just love that. I love that. And this is kind of funny. I, a lot of people just when I say this, they just kind of look at me and scratch their head like what? I love that they don't call. I love that they're not vocal. And, and and see that's that's the reaction i always get it's people are like what no but el they scream at you and i'm like yeah they scream at you and tell you i'm right here i'm right here do you hear me right here <laughs> and and mule deer, they just don't man you've got to you got to get out there and find them and i love yeah, it and i think that's dark. that that just represents and it brings on such a cool challenge that that other animals don't always
3: That's such a great way to put that, Henry. I think that's one of the things, too, that's always doped me into the world of mule deer. There is few things in the world, even a screaming bull elk, that compare to a nasty, rutted up, old, mature buck in the snow, staring at you right through you like he's ready to just whoop your butt. Or just out there doing his thing. Nothing like it. Whether it's archery or rifle, just mule deer have this spot in my heart.
0: I'm with you a hundred percent, man. And I, it, it's, it's just something so cool. And I spent so much time during the summer. Um, I, I call myself an accidental elk hunter. Um, because if I kill an elk, it's usually an accident or a, a, an elk that's committed, you know, like a, a suicide of some sort by just running out in front of me and like, Hey, <laughs> well, I'm not going to pass it, you know, but, um, and I mean, our family loves eating elk meat. I mean, that's a that's a huge part of what keeps the Ferguson household afloat is uh, is elk meat. So we've got to get one every year. And we Kyle's 16 now, so every other year just doesn't work anymore. That that boy's going to eat us out of house and home. I mean, <laughs> in fact, he shot a spike last year, and we were we were down in the in the freezer the other day getting some burger out. And Kyle goes, man, we're really low on burger. So I know we, we either have to shoot bigger elk next year or more elk next year. So yeah, it's, it, the standards are, are, are changing right before our, our, right before our eyes. That's awesome.
1: I've been fortunate enough to hunt mule deer twice now. <clears throat> I've had three trips out West, all in Wyoming. And, uh, my first mule deer trip, I was successful and I killed well, it was a, it was a 200 inch to me, but you know, a smaller mule deer, a nice smaller 4x4, four four, I guess a tight 4x4, four four, nice um, on public in Wyoming. And after that happened, after like working my ass off because I'd never hunted that way before. Like we're we're in tree stands and blinds back here hunting whitetail, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd never hunted that way before, and never hunted in snow, and never hiked like that. Uh, to make it happen and when that all came together I was like this is this is the coolest animal in
0: the entire world this is the coolest animal it, it just again you know it's the exertion and the effort that's put into them and yeah. I, I know not everybody puts that kind of effort into them some guys are more than happy to drive down the road and when they see one you know take it but yeah. and, and and what I've come to know over the years and understand a little better is that, you know, I mean, hunting means different things to all of us. And for for me, I want to kill the biggest, most mature buck I can find. And I'm going to spend a lot of time scouting, finding that big mature buck. But you know, not everybody, not everybody has that level of addiction to it, I guess would be the right way to say it. And, you know, I just I mean I respect all different levels of it, you know, and it, it, the hunt just means different things to different people.
1: For sure. Yeah. and I'm not here to tell anybody how they should or shouldn't hunt, but you know, when you achieve that level of effort, the, the, the result is, uh, that's a, that's a full heart, man. That's, there's something special
0: about that. Yeah, you're at, that's absolutely right. And, and like you said, it just means so dang much Then, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's just awesome. I mean, I've got, I've got a buck on my wall up here that I, uh, on the other wall, I haven't shown you that wall yet, um, that I, I watched that deer for three years. And I, I first saw him in 2016. And, or no, 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 no. I, I saw him in 2018. So 2018, and he was just a great looking four by four. Really nice buck, deep forks, good mass, but he—I could tell he was—he was still fairly young. And when I saw him again the next year, and I—I'll be honest, I should have shot him in 2019. I, I really, really should have shot him in 2019 because I'm—I'm pretty sure he was. If he wasn't 190 inches, I think he was knocking on the door. And when I shot him in 2020, he—I mean, he ended up grossing 182, which is still a terrific buck but you know just knowing that deer and watching him for three seasons it, when when you finally when i finally released that arrow oh my gosh that just it just meant so much you know it was such a cool cool end to the story you know and i i just that's what that's what hunting means to me is is building that I, and I, it, it, every time I say this, I, I feel weird saying it, but you kind of like almost build a relationship with that deer and, you know, you're just learning it. You're, you're kind of learning its tendencies and figuring them out. And when it, when it all finally comes together, it's just awesome.
1: Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. We do that back here too. And, you know, not to spill Caleb's secrets, but he's been watching a specific deer for, and sharing some pictures of uh, a deer he's been watching too, and you know I like to take inventory of the deer here on our farm, and uh, it's just something special when you get to see him in person.
0: Let's see if Caleb shared any pictures of that buck with me.
3: <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you do.
3: You're one of the fir- you're one of the few people that would get that picture or that video.
0: You need to uh, you
3: need to take care of that buck, man. He's he's <laughs> got to go in the dirt this year. That's right. That's one of those things. Like you're you're saying, you almost build a relationship with these animals. And don't get me wrong. I've done the same thing with elk too. That bull I shot last year that actually won one of the awards there at the CBA. Heck yeah. That bull is something that I had a little bit of history with. Not a lot, but I had a little bit. But with mule deer or deer in general, you have the ability to pattern an animal and see them time in and time in and time in. They're very routine. And a lot of people mistake that routineness for an ease of hunt, but it's quite the opposite.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, it's it's funny because they're not like patternable like whitetails and that, you know, we're not, you're not going to find many people shooting them out of tree stands. I mean, you know, for for one thing, the only thing that would draw them in or that could draw a man out where we are is maybe water. And I mean, I find very few of these deer go into water. Um, the older, it seems like the older the deer gets, the less likely they are to go to water. And I mean, I don't know if it's I know they're getting a lot of the moisture they need from the plants they eat, but um, I don't know. It's just kind of strange. So, you know, we do live in a fairly arid area out here. Even the the rich green parts of Colorado are still relatively arid. Um, And so, you know, we don't we don't have that ability to just narrow them down into that little pinch point very consistently. But but yeah, I'll, I'll find deer feeding on that same hillside. That buck that I shot, uh, that I was telling you about, I I watched that deer feed on that one hillside for three straight years. And I mean, I, I knew exactly where that buck was going to be, exactly where he was going to be. If he wasn't in this patch of brush. He was going to be in this one or this one. But I would see him just about every morning out just about every
3: morning. And I think that's one of those things that people might um, underestimate when it comes to harvesting mature animals, time in and time in and time in. Paying a little bit of attention and starting to understand that deer, that elk, and, and really seeing where their patterns are at, allows you to be in a position at the right time at the right moment, but you have to be careful, right? Because if you try to rush that moment, you might never see that buck again. You know, there's been times where I've bumped a mature deer and next thing you know, they're five miles away.
0: Yeah. That's never fun. No, no, it sure isn't. And, you know, and I, I should mention that, I mean, my scouting, my scouting is all long range recon. I mean, I'm looking at these bucks from, you know, 500 yards to a couple miles away. And, you know, I, I don't want them to know I even exist until that arrow hits them. I mean, that's the, that's the first time I want them to understand that I'm even alive. So, and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought on that, but I like to keep my distance and just make sure that they're staying on their patterns and I'm not doing anything to affect that.
3: Actually not to get excited here, but I got a new toy on order from one of our buddies at scope cam. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, Henry, but, uh, Mm -hmm. He is custom making me a compression fitting to go from my 40 millimeter fixed objective lens on my Sony a seven to my spotting scope. Oh, nice. So I'm essentially going to have like a 2000 by 2000 lens.
0: <laughs> very cool. That's very That's cool. cool.
3: I'm going to be able to count the hairs of velvet on a buck, at least a mile away.
0: It matters, man. It matters. And you know, I mean, I'm a, I've used phone scope stuff for years and it's, you know, everybody has their system that works for them. There's a lot of options out there right now, but man, I'm telling you, I being able to, to kind of catalog those bucks is important, you know, to be able to watch them. And I, I hunted a buck last year that it it was interesting. The first time I saw him, I was pretty sure he was a buck that i had hunted the year before. And ultimately, I decided to pass on him because I knew I knew he had the potential to really blow up and and I I don't know, I, I kind of question my sanity for passing him that first year, but he was like a mid170s buck. but you could just tell you could just see the potential. And he he lived up to it last year. he he blew up. and I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping he made it through. So we'll, uh, he's still kicking right now. We'll see. Man, I hope so. I hope so. That's
1: awesome. Well, I definitely want to talk and pick your brain and see what you're willing to share tips and tactics wise for mule deer. I'm heading back to Montana this fall or not back for the first time.
0: What's Uh, your season dates?
1: Um, November. So we're going to be there November 15th through the 21st. And I'm hoping Caleb can pop up
0: and, and hang out. I hear it's going to be chilly. No, no, no. Montana's nice and warm that time of year. Oh,
1: perfect, Leave all perfect, your layers perfect. at home.
0: You'll be fine. Awesome, awesome. That'll it's that'll help. It's going to feel just weight. like South Georgia. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I
1: mean, we hunt, t- We hunting T-shirts and Crocs here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll be It'll you'll be, be totally
0: fine in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, lots of layers, and, and man, you're going to be hunting. You're going to be hunting deer in the rut, and yeah. that's. That I'm excited. Should about that should be pretty awesome. Yeah. That's very
3: Don't cool. forget your insulated crocs, though. They need to be insulated that time of year.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, and make sure on crocs, especially, you've got to flip that back up. Put them into adventure mode. Otherwise, you're you're gonna you're gonna be blowing you're gonna be <laughs> blowing crocs out. See? He you knows what I'm talking about. Gotta be prepped. Four wheel drive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right.
1: When you roll up on you know your mule deer spots. What are what are some things that you're looking for, Henry? Or it, when you're doing your long range recon and you're trying to pin down uh, maybe where deer are or a place you've never been before, what are some things that kind of stand out to you? And I know it may be different state by state, it,
0: and it, um, it can be. But I'll tell you what I hunted Utah last year, and you know a lot of this stuff translates. So for the first thing I'm going to be looking for is open terrain. Um, because my number one method for finding mule deer is glassing. And if it's just thick lodgepole pines, you're not going to be able to glass deer very effectively. You can look at the edges and you can look at the meadows and the, the avalanche shoots. Um, but, but truthfully, you want to, I, I mean, my, my personal preference, I want to find more open terrain. Um, again, my, my greatest asset is I can glass pretty well. So I want to, I want to utilize those assets. I mean, Hey, you guys are hunt, lift, eat. You're probably in pretty good shape, or maybe you just like to eat. Maybe you all represent different parts of that. I don't know. But anyway, you know, you want to utilize your, your strength. So if, if the hunt, lift, eat is your, truly your lifestyle, you know, try to find something a little bit off the road, get put a little distance between you and the, and the road hunters, Um, So that'd be step one. Step two, I'd be looking for a high point to glass from. Um, Do you have a a tripod mount for your binoculars? I do
1: now that Caleb has taught me the ways and and he's got me all squared away with
0: a little more uh, more serious gear that I will need. So so that's that's huge, because in, in my opinion, if you as soon as you mount a $500 set of binoculars on a tripod, they're instantly as good as handheld $1,000 binoculars. And if you mount a pair of $1,000 binoculars on a tripod, those are as good as $2,000 handheld binoculars. It's, it's this kind of exponential thing, but having a still field of view where you can spot movement is absolutely crucial. Especially that you know that late in the season, those bucks are going to be grayed out. And if they're grayed out and you're looking in sagebrush, man, it's not, I mean, you'll, you'll find deer that just flat out when they stop, you could be looking straight at them and not know where the hell they are. (laughs) You know, you take your eyes off them for a second and you're, and, and you've completely lost them. So having, having that still stationary field of view is absolutely crucial. So that's number one. Um, make sure you've got, you know, good, again, that good glassing point. I'm looking for feed. So find out what they're feeding on that time of year. I mean, I, I'm good at finding early season feed because that's kind of where I, you know, do most of my, the the big majority of my hunting is that archery season. Um, so I know what they're feeding on then. I, I know how to identify that stuff from two ridges away. And I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm keying in on it. And, and I'll tell you, it it almost never fails. There's going to be deer in pretty close proximity to those those brushy spots. So that's going to be uh, kind of step number two. And then uh, and, and this that time of year, you cannot underestimate how important it is to find the girls. Um, you find does, and you will find bucks that time of year. I mean, mule deer are different. They they will. You'll see bucks cruise miles looking for does, but they know where to find them too. I mean, they're not, you know, this is their house. This, this is all very familiar for them. So that's, uh, but yeah, find those does. And if there's no bucks with the does yet, just kind of keep a keep, you know, whether it's putting pens in onyx or base maps or whatever you're using, you know, just mark where those doe groups are, and come back to them. You know, as you find four or five groups of does, just keep cycling back to them every, you know, every day or a couple times a day.
1: Just keep tabs on them.
3: I think to add on to a little bit, Henry, to your your food mentioning there. Think about access of food to these deer during the rut. All their energy is going to be spent finding girls and fighting each other relatively easy access food that's near where they're at near bedding it's going to be something they congregate around you're not going to be looking in the the roughest terrain on the planet to find these guys look for something a little bit easier they're just like us they get tired they get worn down that's the whole reason why you see four season rut hunts shooting 200 inch deer all the time right because they're looking for easy places to live
0: and those bucks are distracted you know it's it's funny i have a lot of deer that live we're we're on the edge of town here. And I I watch a lot of what I call hood bucks because they're just bucks that live in my neighborhood. In fact, I, there was a big two by four eating flowers over my neighbor's fence, like three doors down from me yesterday morning. We snuck up on him in my, my wife's Jeep Wrangler on 35 inch mutters. Um, Is that the one you put on your Instagram story? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly it's, it's It's a a method that I hadn't tried before, but I'm not, I'm not mad at it. It sure worked yesterday, but you know, that buck was distracted. He was eating. He, he did not have a care in the world. So, um, but I, I watch a lot of these deer year round and it never fails right around that second week in November, bucks, I'll have bucks show up that I have not seen all year that, that are literally just filing out of the foothills, but they know where the does are and they will find them and so I mean that's something that you know we we see bucks that just come out of nowhere though every year every year in fact there's one buck that last year I saw in velvet for the first time ever because I've only seen this buck for three years in a row he would come out he'd come out of the mountains for the rut and that was it and last year for one reason or another he just I don't know if he just got lazy or just wandered down one day like, hey, I wonder if the chicks are still here. <laughs> and, but yeah, I saw him and he's got these really distinctive G2s that they go up to the split and then they just kick straight back down. So, I mean, he's, he's an easy buck to identify. And I mean, you know, I, like I said, I saw him two years in a row during the rut and then finally saw him in velvet once. But yeah, those bucks are, they, they wander a lot, man. They wander a lot looking for does and bow hunting them in the rut can be a, a really frustrating right. thing. Um, but truthfully it can be, it, it can also be real easy because you can find one that's just so rut drunk that I mean, they're just, they just lose their minds.
1: Oh man, I'm grinning just thinking about it. Heck Yeah. That's awesome. How has you know you you mentioned you your the wall over your left shoulder is your is your son's wall as I'm looking at all these deer. How has uh, how has that changed your your dynamic? Like you you and your son have an awesome relationship just based on what I can see on social media. And I'm a father of a two year old, and I can't wait until you know she could be introduced to the outdoors. How has that impacted your love of the outdoors?
0: Honestly, it you know my wife my wife i taught her how to hunt kind of introduced her to the outdoors her her dad just wasn't it just wasn't their lifestyle and that's that's fine I and mean, we was an excellent dad to her and raised her right but you know hunting just wasn't a part of what they did so for us um you know i introduced her through archery and taught her how to shoot a bow and then had a coach teach her how to shoot a bow because if you've ever tried to teach your wife how to do something yeah, it's, it's not, not super effective, um, but uh, yeah. And so she got, she got into hunting and I, I kind of got to see a lot of it through her eyes, you know, see it again, kind of for the first time again. And then my son, I mean, my son has been, he's been at our side for a lot of hunts over the years. Um, he's been with me on more, I'll, I'll call him unsuccessful, archery hunts than I can count. Unsuccessful in that we didn't kill anything. Um, successful in that it, it created and kind of fostered that love for the outdoors and him. But uh, when, when he was able to go on a, on a rifle hunt with my wife in 2016, let's see, he would have been 10. Um, and my wife smacked a, a big deer. And I mean, the biggest bodied stinking deer I think I've ever seen in my life. She has shot two of the top five body wise animals I've ever seen. And um, they're both on the wall here on opposite walls. But um, when when she shot that buck, we snuck in and snuck into like 80 yards on this deer because I mean, I'm a bow hunter, you know. I sneak in and I, I get to I get to him like okay yeah 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 I can kill that deer I can kill that deer and I looked over and I'm like oh she's got a 250 Savage shooting 3 3,000 feet per second we could have kill him way the hell back there but anyway we'd snuck into 80 yards and sat there and waited for like a half hour for this buck to stand up out of the out of the brush and when he did she just dropped him. And I mean, my son's reaction, the look on his, you know, his eyes were just huge. It was, it was awesome. And again, seeing that through his eyes, nothing better, man. There's just nothing better. And then, you know, ultimately following it up a few years later and him being able to get his first animal, which was a cow elk. And for the three of us to be there, my wife. My wife recorded my reaction afterwards, his and my reaction, you know, giving high fives and hugging and my voice is cracking. And, you know, and I mean, it was it was literally one of a on my deathbed. I pray that I still remember that very moment because it was yeah. awesome. You know, just being able to experience those things for the first time and and seeing it again through their eyes is, is just so cool. That's incredible. What a cool story, man. And that's what it's all about. It is, man. I don't get me wrong. I, I'm still, I'm still a pretty selfish guy during the month of September. I I get my time in the woods. In fact, I get my time and probably two or three other people's time in the woods during the month (laughs) of September. But, uh, but, you know, I, I, I do that. So then October and November, when they get their tags, I'm, I have no distractions. I'm not distracted by my own tag or my own desires to go out and get a buck or whatever bull, you know, I am, I'm focused on their hunt there and just putting that, putting everything into that. And it's, it's, it's awesome, man. You, you cannot beat hunting with your family. Just can't do it. I
1: can't wait for that. I'm so excited. We have a lot of uh, young parents, I guess, who listen to this and are part of the team um, with younger kids. Do you have any like tips or suggestions for introducing, uh, yes. introducing kids to the outdoors? I do because I'm sure there's a right and wrong way to do it, right? Well, and I'll tell you
0: what—I I don't know if my way's right or wrong, but it's my way and it's worked for me. So, so that's all we can do is draw on the experience we have. But, hundred percent, start them early. And I mean, early, early, get him out in the woods on hikes with you, whether it's in a backpack. I mean, my son has finished a lot of back, a lot of hikes in my backpack when he was a kid. And I don't mean like a Kelty carrier backpack. I mean, like at that time, like a Badlands 2800, where I would put him in there. I'd strap him in I'd, and I'd just hike out, you know, I mean, hey, kids they wear out on you and they tap out and you, you just, you don't want it to be a grind. You don't want it to be like, Hey, want to go hiking with dad? Like, uh, that suck fast again. No, <laughs> you know, have fun, take snacks, like have top, a good time. March again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I'm, I'm good, dad. I'm good. So.
3: Man, I'm questioning my upbringing. You know, my dad gave me a compass, a knife and a map dropped me off 16 miles from home and said, go that way. Well, made a man out of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding.
0: But, you know, we I I feel like I feel like uh hunting and fishing and getting kids in the outdoors, I feel like they need to experience success. And so you need to give them attainable goals. Whether it's, you know, if you're going out and you want to teach them how to fish, look, I'm not going to go out targeting, you know, 20 inch browns on the south Platte down by deckers because those fish their mouths look like pin cushions they've been caught a hundred times they know when that fly isn't drifting by just right that it's not not right so you know get them out there fishing for bluegill or stalker trout you know and stuff like that just give them a chance to experience success and for us i mean that was you know again he went on a bunch of uh He went on a bunch of, uh, hunts with me with a bow, but ultimately it was a couple of hunts with his mom where she got it done with a rifle while he, you know, and he was there and those just, man, it's, it's pretty exciting.
3: That's so true. All it takes is just a little bit of fun in the outdoors to get the kids involved. I recently have become a mentor for a nonprofit organization called the Mayfly Project, and we take foster children out over the summer. And we teach them how to fly fish and awesome. everything about the outdoors. And it's oh, cool. it's an incredible experience when you can get a young person involved in conservation and kind of carrying on the heritage that we're so lucky to have and have been up or brought up through for the past, well, our entire lives. It's kind of a cool little unique moment. And it's, a, it's definitely something that I personally have spent a lot of time moving forward and, and going to make it a huge priority in my life. It's uh, it's Heck been kind yeah. of fun. I can't wait to volunteer for some of the programs with CBA and, and kind of do it awesome. on the hunting aspect too. So it's going to be a good time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, you know, my, I, I, my son's first word was deer. So it, it, it literally was. And I mean, we had a, uh, we live close to a state park that's kind of loaded with deer and, when he was really young, we'd take him for rides because he never wanted to go down for a nap. And every time we'd go out, I, I was pointing out the deer and stuff, you know. And uh, one day we're driving along and uh, out of the back seat, I hear, D, D, D. And he's pointing out there. And I, I look out and he's pointing at a deer and I'm like, man. I I don't know if they just like give out father of the year awards or if I have to apply for it, but I mean, I'm pretty sure I just locked it up. You got it. Yeah, you got it.
3: (laughs) I might know a guy that can kind of put that into the CBA's banquet next year. I I might be able to give you his name. Might have a little bit of influence on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think the statute of limitations ran out on my father of the year stuff since he's 16 now, but you know, Actually, if I ever deserved it, it was last year when he got—he shot an antelope, uh, got a nice buck with his with his rifle. He got a got that buck I was telling you about, and then shot a spike elk. So three tags, three animals. I mean, the kid single-handedly filled filled a pretty good sized freezer. So that that would have been the year that I would have really submitted that application. So.
1: That's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. I love seeing y'all's relationship and, and seeing that grow and, you know, I can't help but look forward to the future when I get to do that with my daughter. And that's, that's just so exciting, man. That's, that's so cool. With, uh with Colorado bow hunters, do y'all work with kids specifically the outreach outreach with kids or anything? Yeah. Like so that? we've,
0: we've got some, uh, some Boy Scout programs we're working on right now. Um, trying to, you know, the archery merit badge is one of the least achieved merit badges in scouting, which is kind of interesting. And, it, and the reason is it's hard. It's they have a they have, they have set some very high standards for for getting that badge. And we've got, uh, again, Wes Mendez is working on a, a program that he's kind of doing a pilot program with his within his own troop. And the success rate on it's been awesome so far. And it's something that we're hoping to scale that once we get uh, once we kind of he kind of finalizes those details and so then, that we can then kind of branch it out through our area reps and stuff like that to, to get this. And, you know, it's just about building that next generation of bow hunters and giving kids an opportunity to, again, experience success in archery. I mean, we did we did a, an event. Uh, let's see the weekend before last with the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus and they were having um, their big event out here this year in Denver. And so we went out to a, a, a big place called Colorado Clays that uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife actually owns it now. And it's as it sounds, it's a big uh, you know trap shooting place and they've got a rifle range there. They've got pistol ranges. It's a real big facility, but we had people come from all over the country that and we did uh, that was a big archery outreach thing for us. We we had a bunch of the Genesis bows there, so we taught people how to shoot. Um, many of them had never held a bow before, and then a few of them, you know, it, it, when they you can always tell when somebody shot before and it wasn't a real pleasant experience, because as soon as you start mentioning archery, they start kind of rubbing their forearm. and i'm like what if i told you i could teach you how to never hit your bow arm again so and that was that was kind of fun so we did a we did a couple different things there we did it we taught people how to shoot a bow and then we did an archery demonstration as well had a target set up at like 90 yards a bag target we were you know shooting some arrows at that with a little bit nicer bows you know um But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And just anytime we can do outreach stuff like that, I mean, we contribute to, to the Ted Nugent camp for kids that's held here in in Colorado every year. Um, So yeah, we, we do a lot. We do a lot with that kind of stuff.
3: That's one of my favorite parts about the CBA. And I know we've already touched base on this in general, but it is literally an organization built around giving back to the outdoors and outdoor enthusiasts. From the fact that every member uh, on the board or on the directors, you guys are all volunteers, to the work that you do with children, to the work that you do in the legislative to help giving sportsmen in the outdoors a, a voice. it's just it's an incredible organization and Henry, you've been such a big part of it since December when you came on board as director uh, or excuse me as chairman. Um, which oh, is just furthering furthering your furthering, your, furthering your, uh, your lifetime with them, but it's it's awesome. And we definitely got to get uh, get more people involved in it. It's it's awesome sitting here talking with you and and diving into it. Not only getting to know you, but to know a little bit more about the CBA too.
0: Well, it's you know it's just something that it's it's a passion project for all of us. I mean, there's there's nobody on that board that isn't just eaten up with bow hunting. You know that this isn't a big part of their lives, and that's what makes it work. I mean, it, it if you have people on there who are lukewarm about it it doesn't work. You know, you've got to be committed to it. It has to mean something to you to devote the time and effort that's required.
3: And, you know, I don't know everybody that's on the, on the board, if you will, but I do know Joe Bradley pretty decently. And you want to talk about people or who driven by a passion for the outdoors and for (laughs) bow hunting, (laughs) the youngest bow hunter in Colorado to achieve the big, was it the big eight or the big nine with his own trad bow? Like, (laughs) yeah. Crazy.
0: Well, you know, we've got we've got a lot of guys like that in the state that, you know, and that's one of the things we try to do in our magazine is is share the stories of those people. Um, And we've got such a a broad mix of ranges of ages and stuff. You know, I mean, like I said, we we did a podcast with uh, with Marv Klinke, who was one of the original five members, one of the founding members of the CBA and I mean, you talk about the the stories that that guy can tell. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, he's been heavily, heavily involved with Pope and Young since their foundation. And I mean, it's it's been it's cool to listen to the stories that these guys have. And that's something we're trying to we're, we're trying to incorporate into next year's Jamboree. Um, you know, a lot of our growth right now that we're seeing in our membership is 25 to 35 years and that's so cool because we've never i mean hey you know Bobby can vouch for this the boards on these on these volunteer organizations tend to be retired guys i mean that's just the the nature of the beast that's when you tend to have the time to devote to something like this and you know for us to be able to get this younger generation you know involved and being in active members is great but now one of our biggest challenges and one of the things we're striving to do is to find a way to incorporate the stories from the, the previous generation into, the, into these younger guys. So they can get a, an, a, an idea of what went into building, you know, getting the first archery only seasons in Colorado. And, you know, some of the old hunt stories, we have a guy named John Gardner who was a past board member This guy, literally, he told a story on our podcast that I laughed like a fangirl with headphones on. You know, I'm like, I'm supposed to be professional. and It was the best, most engaging hunting story I've ever heard. And he was talking about, he goes, oh, yeah, I've I've killed several sheep and and mountain goats with my bow. Like, well, How? He says, well, years ago, when they first started giving out the archery tags, they didn't think anybody would actually kill one. So they gave out a bunch of them and nobody applied. So he goes, yeah, we could hunt sheep every couple of years. Like, I mean, we're literally sitting there flabbergasted by this. And he goes, oh, yeah, we've shot moose. We've shot mountain goats. And I mean, it, and it just to us now. But, you know, that was back when Colorado had a million people that lived in the state. We're closing in on six million people now. That's a that's a big challenge for our state going forward. Is how do you blend? How do you maintain opportunities for those who want to hunt to be able to hunt when the population's just exploding? I mean, yeah. seriously, how do you? If you have a suggestions, you know, we're listening. <laughs>
3: That was one of the coolest parts about the, the CBA banquet last year for, well, and I guess for the record, this last two years is the first time that I actually became involved in the CBA. Uh, and Trevin is actually the one who kind of got me involved with it and pushed me towards it. And
0: oh, that's cool. when I started
3: diving into your organization. So that was kind of cool. Um, but being there and then watching the bow hunter of the year award and seeing the individuals that are actually been in receipt or receipt of it in previous years, their accolades. I mean, you're talking a thousand years of hunting history standing there in front of you between 20 people. Yeah. Like it is incredible.
0: Awesome. It's, it's awe inspiring. And if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at our membership records, it, it's like the who's who of, of bow hunting in the country. And it's, it's so awesome to be affiliated with and involved with people like that who are, are truly legends in the sport. And, you know, guys who who built this and it's it's just so cool to be able to to talk to people like that and hear those stories of you know man i mean marv clinky he's like oh yeah well you know this person almost died on this hunt well this guy did die on that one um and then you know it's like these are you know the old sheep and goat hunting (laughs) stories that it's like man it's just so cool but yeah i i and I, I mean, I'm a, I am geek out on this stuff anyway. I could sit here and talk bow hunting all day. That's why when somebody says, hey, you want to be on our podcast? What are we going to talk about? Bow hunting? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, sign me up. That's awesome. Well, you know,
1: we could totally do a whole nother two hours here talking about, you know, I'm sure you could, you and Caleb could go nerd out and unpack all the issues with, or I'm sure you have opinions on, Colorado's tag regulations and recent things that have been going on. And I know you might have to be a little more political than Caleb has to, uh,
0: Henry. Well, to, to be blunt, Colorado gives more non-resident tags than any of our neighbors combined. And I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. I mean, we have a few things going for us that, that, you know, I mean, we do have the largest elk population in the world i mean we just we have you know more elk than again you can start combining several of our of our neighbors our neighboring states to to tally up to what we have um we're the first state that people hit when they start driving from the east that has mountains that has elk and mule deer in it you know plentiful and we are we're very generous with our tag allocations and it's uh you know, it's something that, yeah, I do have to be a little political on this and that, you know, hey, it does keep our Colorado parks and wildlife very well funded. And, you know, it, it, they do need to be well funded. They do need to have a healthy operating budget to keep those animals on the landscape for us, make sure there's good biologists in place to to make sure those populations stay healthy. But but dadgum, it's getting harder and harder to draw a frigging tag. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I, you're, you're talking to a guy here who's a little bit obsessed with mule deer, as we've established, and currently, I have this many mule deer tags for this year. I have none. Wow. So I'm hoping to get lucky and grab one of the reissued tags, and if not, then I'm going to have to break open the checkbook and buy a landowner tag somewhere. I mean, but, you know, not hunting isn't an option for me. It's not it's not something I do. It's, it's, it's a huge part of who I am and what I do. Absolutely.
3: For the record, I've checked the reallocation and the reissue list at least four times since we've been on this podcast, just <laughs> checking the updates and see if anything exactly changed just for the record.
0: So yeah, I I did I, not, not that, not that I can relate to that, Caleb, but it did post at 11 o'clock this morning and I immediately started sending out text messages and, devising my plan. and um, I do have a couple of options on there that I'm looking at very aggressively and very hopeful that I can grab one of the precious few that are available. But, you know, this is this is the nature of the beast, man. I mean, we do live in a in a state with a booming human population and the animals are a finite resource. I mean, you, you, they can only give yeah, so yeah. many tags. And granted, I feel like the first tag in every drawing should go to me. I mean, just you know, <laughs> that's, just agree, my, that's just my grossly overinflated sense of self worth, right there. But, but yeah, I just feel like I should have a tag every year, and then everybody else can fight over the rest of them. But you know,
3: <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a great way to segment into the next portion of this, Henry. You know, we're coming up on an hour here, getting ready to wrap everything up. I think it's a great way to pull round two in. Let's talk about those tag allocations and see what tags you pull this year and let's do another podcast coming up soon after we see some well, success stories from you and the family.
0: I'll tell you what, I'd love to any, any time guys. And, and next year is going to be a very big year in the history of our state, as far as hunting is concerned, because there is an issue. Um, and it just got pushed to 2023 which by the CPW commissioners, which I do feel is the right decision. Um, and I feel that it's the right decision because this tag allocation process it it requires a lot of input, a lot of input from all the stakeholder groups. And I mean, I'm just proud that CBA is going to have, we are going to be one of the stakeholders represented in that. So we're excited to be able to share our opinions and work with everybody else to come up with something that's equitable for everybody, you know? And I mean, hey, if it's a a slight reduction in in non-resident allocation, I mean... You know, it's, we're very generous now. I mean, you know, New Mexico gives 10% to, to non-residents and a portion of that goes to those in the outfitter draw. So, um, you know, Utah's 10 to 15% in, in, on average. Um, Wyoming's, they've just gone to 10% on their big three, you know, on their sheep, moose and goat. And they're talking about there's rumors that they are discussing taking that to ten percent across the board. So, you know, I mean this it's tough. It's getting tougher and tougher to get opportunities as a non-resident. And trust me, I've got I've got points in a lot of states and still pulling up zeros. So for sure. For sure.
1: Well, I got six in Colorado, and I think I'm gonna cash in and maybe come see you next year.
0: Let's talk about those six points and what you should be doing with them. (laughs) See
1: if Caleb will (laughs) help me around and, you know, maybe I can pick your brain a little bit, but.
0: Glad to help. Like Caleb said,
1: said, we're rolling up on an hour here and uh, Henry, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. Do you got any closing thoughts for us? Any, any call
0: to action for Colorado bow hunters or. You know what? The biggest thing, the biggest thing we need right now is we just need memberships. And, and the reason we need memberships is, is literally when we go and we talk to the legislators or we talk to CPW commissioners, for us to go in there and say, hey, our, my goal is for us to go in there and say, we represent 5,000 of our members who are bow hunters in the state of Colorado, resident and non-resident alike. And that's very important because we do represent resident and non-resident alike. So, you know, the bigger that number, the louder our voice is. And the louder our voice is, the easier it is for us to get things done.
2: Can we have 147 people live at Caleb's house?
3: uh, (laughs) Because we can get some members. (laughs) We could make it happen, but I'm not cooking for everyone. Not. Yeah, there you
0: go. Be more likely to do the cooking than the laundry, though. So (laughs) there you go.
1: Caleb, you got any closing thoughts for us, man?
3: No, you know, I think it's a, this has been a great conversation, Henry. It's actually been one I was hoping we were going to make happen this year. So it's just awesome to have you on. Appreciate My everything pleasure. that you do and every one of the other, other chairman and every volunteer for the CBA. You guys, like I've said, truly are the, the voice of the outdoorsman and the voice of our, our outdoor industry here in Colorado. And it's amazing what you've done. And we really do appreciate it and definitely can't wait to have you for round two. Make Gosh. sure guys, if you are listening to this, jump onto the Colorado bow hunters association website Memberships are extremely reasonable. It's literally twenty eight cents a day if you do a three year membership. Twenty eight cents a day, like come on, guys. Like
0: the old Sally Struthers commercials about feeding children, but you know, but yeah, for twenty eight cents a day,
3: you can help Colorado Outdoors.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) Where can folks find you
0: on uh, on social media? Oh, it's it's really hard. Um, So I I actually run two different social media pages. Uh, The first one started out with good intentions and has basically turned into a meme page. And that one's called (laughs) not fit to hunt. Um, Sorry, guys. Hunt, lift, eat. We can still be friends Um, because we still have the eat in common. Lots, lots in common there. Um, And then my main page is um, at Big Chief Wackabuck. And again, that's, uh, you know, all totally legit cause I'm sixteenth Cherokee. So yeah, just putting that out there. Uh, but if you take yourself real seriously, probably shouldn't follow me because yep. there's, there's always a, a fair amount of sarcasm built into every, most of my posts,
1: but that goes for us too. That's awesome. Bobby, you got any closer for us?
2: Yeah, I just want to say, you know, thanks for what you do, Henry. It's good to see another person passionate with the outdoors running a nonprofit. And a lot of people don't understand the time and energy and passion that you have to put into a nonprofit. And they're always quick to look at what's going on here. And they don't see the actual inside work, the dirty work that everybody's doing. And uh, I'm sure you feel the pain and I feel your pain and success on all that. So uh, just excited to talk to you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. And listeners, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Uh, definitely go check out Colorado Bow Hunters Association. Go check out uh, Henry's page, <laughs> Big Chief Whack a Buck, because that's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, definitely go check out uh, the new Instagram page, the new Instagram handle. Shout out Bobby McCready, the Hunt Lifty podcast, right? We started a new page just for the podcast. Uh, if you could do us a favor, just go drop a follow and, you know, We're not asking for any money or anything like that, but if you like what you hear, go leave us a review, a nice one, please. Really help us out. Get Bobby a new pair of shoes for Christmas. So, listeners, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. I just found
0: it. Followed.
3: And for the record, Bobby does need a new pair of shoes, but listeners, if you work for Crocs or are affiliated with Crocs, we really would like a paid sponsorship.
1: That's right. We will take a sponsorship 100% up for
3: that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. Heck yeah. So we'll keep everybody in the loop, listeners. We'll talk to you guys next week.